Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. Hi, this is Chris Shepard. Just a disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only. They should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments, or take any other actions. Thank you and enjoy the show. Today, we've got Lauren Cohen with us. Lauren's an international lawyer and cross-border strategist from eCouncil Global. She is also the host for Investing Across Borders podcast. We will talk about navigating through the process of cross-border investing and elements or steps needed on how to get started. She also shares about the pitfalls to avoid in this type of investment and how real estate can be a path to immigration for foreign nationals and a way to get a visa. So let's welcome Lauren Cohen. All right, today we have Lauren Cohen with us with eCouncil Global. She works with investors across borders. Lauren, thanks for being on the show. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? My favorite subject other than investing across borders. I'm just kidding. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. I love speaking on podcasts. I'm Lauren Cohen. I'm originally from Toronto, the city of lockdown, and I now live in South Florida, and I'm grateful every day that I don't, I'm not on lockdown. We have been very fortunate here in, in South Florida, sometimes a little over the top, I would say, but it's been a great experience. I'm originally from Toronto, as I said. I'm a lawyer both in Canada and the U.S. I'm also a licensed realtor with EXP, and I help people invest across borders and create strategies that allow them not only to invest, but also to potentially achieve immigration status through their investments and create the strategies around that to make sure that their path is is as painless as possible. My logo is helping you to invest, live, work, and play across borders. That's a great topic. You want to tell us, like, how did you how did you get into that? Like, that seems very niche down. Like, how did you get into that? Well, I am originally from another country, so I've been through the whole process myself. And I, being a lawyer and getting my real estate license and combining the two and working with a lot of real estate investors that were struggling to figure out, can real estate get me a visa? How do I get a visa through real estate? And I've been working in the immigration and investment space for many, many years in the EB-5 space, which you may know of, where people would basically invest and get a green card as a result of their investment and uh, creation of jobs. And the opportunity just was, was too great to really provide a value and a value-added service to people that were struggling to figure out how to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And I love putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And then I've been writing business plans for many years. And my little story is that my ex-husband was deported on the way back from our honeymoon. And that prompted me to say, okay, it's time to get into the immigration space. And so I did. What a story. So <laughs> it, always, it always gets people a little speeches. Oh, okay. That's unusual. <laughs> I mean, but with the spark passion that you have. And so it sounds to me like you're very passionate about what you do and, and helping others who kind of are going through what you went through. Yes. So 
but what, what made you decide to get into real estate? Like to, you know, you were pursuing law and then what, what kind of tipped, like what got you started? So my mom was in real estate in Toronto for many years when I was growing up. And I always knew that I would get my real estate license down here in the U.S. when I could. And as soon as I got my green card, I got my real estate license. But honestly, until I joined EXP, which was about 14, 15 months ago, I did nothing with it. And now I'm the chair of international investments for EXP Commercial. And as of yesterday, I moved my license from EXP Realty to EXP Commercial. And I have a team that I work with. And it's a lot of fun and it's internationally driven. Everything I do is internationally driven. So it's just kind of all the pieces just melded together. And to be honest with you, COVID was what, I guess, helped me to morph into what I'm doing now, which is more focused on the cross-border investment, cross-border business, cross-border real estate, cross-border strategy. And creating that support system. I love being the quarterback and coordinating the pieces. And as I said, putting the puzzle pieces together. And now I'm just doing it on a grander scale for people that really need that help because there's just so many things to think about when you're moving to another country or investing in another country. And there's enough to think about when you're investing domestically, right guys? So, I mean, look at AJ sitting in a duplex. It's being converted to a triplex. And, you know, there's a lot of elements in that and a lot of legalities as well. And you have to get permits and all this. I'm going through a permit issue here in my own house. So it's a lot to think about. And so they need that guide, that navigator. My speaking title is cross-border navigator. And that's really what I am because you're navigating through a very difficult, complex maze that could cost you so much if you don't do it right. And so many people, as you guys, I'm sure, see every day, wait until it's too late to get that guidance and get that help. And they say, oh, we'll just do it this way or just do it that. Oh, it's just one or just two. And so they end up getting themselves in a lot of trouble. And it's always much more costly to fix the problem as opposed to preventing it. Just like having insurance on your car, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. We haven't worked with any investors outside of the country. Kind of what are, what are some of the challenges or how would maybe an investor from outside of the country invest in the, in the U.S.? One of the biggest challenges is taxes because they don't want to become a U.S. taxpayer. They don't want to pay double tax. I mean, none of us do. And so it's, it's making sure that you're structured properly from the get-go to avoid that. So what happens with a lot of people, and I'll specifically address Canadians just because I am Canadian and I work with a lot of Canadians and Canadians are also the most logical investors in U.S. real estate. I mean, especially in Florida where I live, but certainly where you guys are too, because it's just easy. They can usually drive and visit their properties. So let's talk about Canada. So if a Canadian invests in a couple of properties here in their personal name, they're going to end up paying the price through the nose and they're, not going, they're going to pay capital gains. They're going to do a lot of stuff that they could not avoid potentially if they had the right structure set up. So my system is an eight-step system to help them figure out all of these elements from, in, from the taxes to do you want a joint venture to financing. That's a big deal too, because as you guys know, foreign and being a foreign national, financing is different. You have to put a different amount down. You're going to have different qualifications. You're going to be paying a different rate. So all of these elements need to come into play. You know, where do you want to invest? How do you want to invest? How much do you want to invest? And so on and so forth. So that's kind of what 
the elements that we look at. And so one of my eBooks, which I'm happy to share with you guys, is Eight Steps to Investing Across Borders as Painlessly as Possible. And it's really about avoiding that pain and then being successful so you can make those dollars and not pay the Canada Revenue Agency or the IRS. You know, I mean, you know, it's like anything. Proper planning, that's the key, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm assuming that, like, it's kind of the same process if they were coming from, say, another country Correct. too, right? Absolutely. Every country yeah. needs to look at all of these elements. Some countries have more onerous restrictions on currency, let's say, and how to get the money out of the country, like Venezuela and Russia. Canada doesn't have those restrictions, and obviously there's you know a tax treaty and all of this. But So you need to look at people from each country differently because they do have different requirements and different needs and different goals. And also that somebody from Canada is going to be much more likely to physically visit the property than somebody from Russia, let's say, that's not planning to move here. And then you have to look at, does the person also want a visa as part of the investment process? And if there's a visa involved, they're not going to be looking at single family homes as much as they will at multifamily and, you know, other types of real estate that could be commercial. Right, exactly. It's got to be investment driven because you can't, get a visa as a hobby. So, the, so you know, a lot of us promote passive, you can do virtual flipping, right? Virtual wholesaling. That's never going to get you a visa because it's, if you can do it virtually, why do you need a visa? The visa is you need your boots on the ground. So you have to show that story. So these elements from the short-term goal to the long-term goal, some people, I had a couple of clients yesterday referred to me. They said, we don't want to get a visa now, but we definitely want to get a visa within five years. So we've got to set them up now so they don't have to go and change everything later. Yeah, very good. So interesting. We do syndications and I know that we have not accepted any other country investors yet, but is... Do you know if there's additional requirements that they would need to invest in syndications? So syndication is passive. So they're not going to do the visa process by investing in syndication. However, they should definitely set up the proper legal structure to avoid that double taxation still. So it's all about what type of entity do you need? You know, a lot of people go online and they say, okay, that LLC, I'm going to set up an LLC, right? Everybody sets up an LLC. They think that's the way to own real estate because that's really what's promoted everywhere, right? Well, (laughs) for some people, an LLC is not treated as a corporate entity in their home country. So the tax treatment is going to be, is going to reflect that. And they don't think about that when they're setting up that LLC. Oh, I did it for four or $500. Great. But guess what? Now you got to do it again. And you got to do it with the cross-border tax advisor involved because the last thing you want to do is pay the, I had one guy come to me, he had paid $100,000 to the Canada Revenue Agency in 2019 for taxes on his real estate investments and refused, even then, after paying that six-figure tax bill, refused to set up a proper structure. He said, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Really? Yes, if you're paying so, $100,000 in tax, that means you're making a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still, why are you going to pay it to the tax guy? I mean, come on. Who wants to do that, right? Don't you, wouldn't you rather give that to charity or anything? You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of hitting the point on one of the pitfalls, and that's double taxation. Can For you sure. kind of like dive down a little deeper into that? So you mentioned setting up an LLC, you know, 
we run our syndications out of an LLC that has multiple different members. Are you talking about the way the syndicator is setting no. up an LLC? Or are you talking about the way that someone who's from another country created an LLC Correct. in the United States? And so that LLC would be the investor in your syndicate. In your okay. Syndicate. Do you, do you want to describe like, I guess the problem that you're trying to avoid and then how to properly avoid it through? So I will do my correct? best. But I am not a tax advisor, and I'm not a tax expert. I don't even play one on TV, and I don't ever want to be a tax expert, but I will do my best to explain it just because of the double taxation issue. And I deal with it myself because I do have, I do have assets in Canada, and I have to declare them every year when I file my tax return here in the U.S., and I have to state the numbers and all of that, okay? So when you're coming from another... It doesn't even matter if you're coming from another country. When you're investing in another country, no matter where it is, you are looking at taxes in that subject country and your home country. And the last thing you want to do is pay double taxation, no matter where you're from and where you're investing. So between Canada and the U.S., which is the most logical one, there's a tax treaty. And that tax treaty allows you to benefit from certain, if you take certain precautions, you're not going to pay double tax. Like the Canada Revenue Agency will recognize and discount taxes paid in the U.S. when you file your Canadian tax return, if you set things up properly. So it's all about setting those, the setting up the entities properly. And in my experience, and I'm not giving legal advice, an LLC is not the proper way to do it. An LLC under another structure is potentially the proper way to do it, but that holding company structure is what's going to help you prevent that double taxation. That holding company may be a limited partnership and maybe a C-Corp. We don't know. You know, there's generalizations, but we look at each individual client as an individual client that we have to create a structure for. And I have an asset protection attorney, lawyer, colleague that I work with on that. I have a tax advisor who's licensed in both Canada and the U.S. that I work with. My role is as the quarterback to coordinate all of these moving parts because there's a lot of moving parts. All, of, all eight of those steps are moving parts in this process. So, and then there could be another couple of steps if you're getting a visa as well. So my signature program is called 10 Steps to Immigrate to Real Estate. And eight of those steps are, are just about investing across borders and equally applicable no matter if you're investing into the U.S. or from the U.S. to another country. That's great info. So it sounds like you're pretty passionate about the immigration piece as well and you've got personal experience with it. What are some of the pitfalls or the mistakes that can be made in that space? Oh my gosh, those pitfalls are like numerous, voluminous. So when you're investing in real estate, you seldom think about the potential for a visa. And I say seldom because it's becoming much more commonplace now. But generally speaking, people will just invest and think that, you know, want to make a few bucks, have cash flow, invest in a syndicate, whatever. But they're not thinking about the long term, about, and especially when they're investing in real estate, because a lot of lawyers don't even think that real estate is a path to immigration, but it is if you invest right. So the pitfall could be you bought four single family homes, you rented them on an annual basis, and now you want to include them in your visa application. That's not going to work because that's purely passive. A pitfall could be going into virtual wholesaling and thinking that that's going to lead to a visa or 
going into virtual wholesaling and not thinking about the visa and then saying, you know, a year down the road, oh, I want the visa, but you've already spent all of your investment amount in the virtual wholesaling, that's not going to count. So I think that the biggest pitfall I see is a lack of strategy and a lack of planning. Because if you do want ever to think about the visa, then you should definitely plan it from the get-go. The other thing is that a lot of people think that getting a visa means you have to move to the U.S. And that's not true. So a visa is an option. A visa is, gives you flexibility. A visa right now is a big asset in your pocket. Now think about it. If you're from Venezuela or Mexico and you get a visa in your pocket and suddenly there's some kind of political strife or that this doesn't really happen in Canada so much, but somewhere else where there is political strife and where you're basically, you don't know, you know, you, there's, there's kidnapping, there's gun, being held at gunpoint, all these things, and you want options. This visa gives you options. It's a five-year renewable visa. It does not make you a U.S. taxpayer necessarily, and it does not require residence until you get a green card. So why not, if you're a real estate investor or if you're even a, a business owner that's expanding your business globally, get those visas. If you're running trade shows, if you're you know, hosting events, get this visa. It's going to prevent you from having problems at the border. So the challenge, again, Chris, is that people aren't thinking about the options or the opportunities or the doors that the visa opens, they're thinking about the fact that I only need that visa if I'm going to live in the U.S. and send my kids to school there. That's not true. So it's all about having those short-term and long-term goals planned out from the get-go so that you can actually achieve them instead of having to go and reinvent the wheel later. Yeah. You know, as a real estate investor, I've never even considered the ability to get a visa through investing. You know, I'm I haven't really thought that much about investing in another country, let alone with the purpose or, you know, the possibility of gaining that visa. And I can see, you know, I can see someone else who's in another country who would want to invest in the United States just for financial reasons. And I know that there's, there has to be hundreds of thousands of people who do, but they're probably not doing it with the intention or just even knowing that there is that opportunity to obtain. I mean, and it, that sounds like indefinite access to be able to be in the United States. So it's not like indefinite access and there are requirements. You do have to build a business. You do have to hire people. But if you're serious about your real estate investing business and it's really a business then it's something to consider because it, and it also gives you access to a U.S. social security number, U.S. banking, U.S. credit, you build, there's all kinds of elements involved in, in this process. So I don't want to misstate that it's like just a slam dunk and you get it. You have to prove that you qualify for it, but you don't have to live in the U.S. full time to need it, it or to benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, there, you don't have to do it right away. Like you can, you can start the business and wait a year or two years. And, you know, before you actually, like you can start running the business. And then in that year or two years, you could, if you would not, if you wish to, you could move at that point during your term of your visa. Yeah. So it's what you're saying is it's important to set up the structure correctly. So you have that Correct. opportunity if you, if you wanted to in the future. Correct. But if, right. if someone wanted to like really use real estate to get the visa, like what kind of, what's the shortest or what's the time frame for something like that? 
it depends on where they're from because it's all about the consulate in their home country. So if you're from Mexico, it's not going to be too long. Usually, let's say without COVID, it's like it could be if you're already invested and you have the investments and they qualify and so on, it could be between three and six months. Okay. But that's normally when interviews were happening and things were going normally and timelines were normal. There are people that are taking more like a year, depending on where they're from, depending on if the consulate is open in their home country. But Mexico, for example, also processes Canadians now and others. So there's, it's again, comes back to kind of that strategy. Do you want to come in quickly? If you want to come in quickly, we got to get you set up. Let's get you that structure. Let's get you invested. Let's get things moving. And then we can do the visa process because we have to have your money invested in that risk in order to start the application. Not all of it. You can be investing over time, but you have to have the business as a going concern in order to do the application. Okay. And then as if, if they just wanted to start investing in the U.S., is there like a waiting period or any sort no. of time frame for no. getting those No, they can invest in the so U.S. anytime. Of- yeah, so it's just a matter of getting that structure set up correctly so that it's it flows through the, the correct entities and, correct. Then, and then into an, an investment. So, And those structures don't take – I mean, once you get it figured out on what to do, it, it takes just a matter of days to get those things set up. Is that right? It could be days. It could be weeks. It really depends on the structure and how much legal work is involved and how much documentation. Yeah. Setting up a limited partnership can take a couple of weeks and, you know, it's a process, but it's not like months and months. Yeah. There's not a lot of waiting involved. It's, no. It's people working and getting stuff done. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Can I pose a hypothetical? Let's, let's say that AJ and I have a client who is interested in setting up something like this. Maybe they live in Mexico and, you know, they've been investing a little bit, but... Now they're just becoming aware of of the idea that there's a possibility of a visa. What would be kind of the steps to make that happen? Well, that's where my 10 steps to immigrate through real estate comes in. And we would go through each of the steps one by one. And I don't remember them all off by heart, but step one is figure out where and how much you want to invest and the types of projects you want to invest in. Okay, and I'm assuming you're hoping they're going to invest in your syndication company, but they probably won't be able to to qualify for the or, visa. Or do some sort of joint venture. Joint venture, totally fine. The requirement is they own 50% of whatever the business is. Okay, so you and AJ can own 50% and Joe Schmo can own the other 50. Okay, we enter into a joint venture. They set up the business. We figure out where, what you're investing in, how much you're investing, how much financing is needed, if any. Where to get that financing? Is there another, do we need something in addition to the real estate? Like depending on what you're investing in. I have a really cool, I call it my super cool mixed use model, which is a mixed use model, surprise, <laughs> with short-term rentals and retreat slash event center that could be also commercial. It could be also another completely different complementary business. You can have retail, you could have a coffee shop in there. That's an all-in-one, which could be that that's your turnkey that I love. And I happened upon it. And now for my clients, I'm trying to help a few of them get into this model because it's a great multiple streams of income model, which is what EXP is all about too. So I'm also 
trying to get them all to get their real estate licenses. And then they can have these multiple streams of passive income, which is allowed as part of the visa. Then we go into getting them the proper structure set up. The proper structure comes after they speak with, so they're, usually the step is where, how much, with whom, what type of investment, then you figure out, you do the cross-border tax advisor, then you speak to the asset protection lawyer slash, depending on if you just need a corporate lawyer, what's the structure, where are we setting that structure up? Then we figure out when we start the investment process, do the timeline, start the visa process, and you know make the investment happen, and it's kind of all congealed together. And then we get them the visa, we write the business plan, we get them the visa, and we, they're off to the races, and then we stay with them until the visa renewal or until they apply for a green card. I missed in there, like, what's the step where they're making the investment? Like, when they're... Uh, they, sh- they should be making the investment at the earliest stage but they should not be making the investment until they have the structure set up. So it's kind of like they can do it at any point, but like I have a client now, she just texted me as we're on this call. They want to make an offer on a business, but they don't have a corporation yet. Now on a business, it's okay. And usually on a property, it's okay too, because they can make the offer personally and then take title as a business, right? So that's Mm -hmm. not a big deal. You have a due diligence or inspection period or whatever. So that's not the end of the world. But that's what happens is it's kind of like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? So they can make the investment at any stage, but they should not actually invest until they have the structure in place. Yet, if they're doing a visa, they want to make sure that their money has a trail because they have to do source of funds for the visa. So the money has to come in into their personal name into the U.S. and then get transferred into the business name if the business is the one making the investment. Interesting. And then are there any like foreign person laws that in real estate that I guess United States operators need to be aware of if they're working as a joint venture or accepting foreign funds? Yeah, there's definitely some issues involved with like currency and source of funds and being sure it's, you know, clean and the Patriot Act and all of those kind of things need to be paid attention to when you're bringing money in from other countries. I am not the advisor for that. That's where we get a cross-border tax lawyer or, or, you know, an international investment lawyer. And also we work with the bank because the bank is going to do most of that work because they're going to require all of those things as part of their compliance process. Yeah, pretty much on every real estate document, you know, purchase and sale agreement, there is this section of foreign person. It's like the FERPTA yeah, um, right. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, my mind just goes blank over that because I'm like, oh, they're not a foreign person. We're this doesn't working. apply. Yeah, they're not so I, I just have like literally no depth of knowledge in regards to FERPTA. Can you give us like a brief overview of? No, okay. I don't even want <laughs> to touch that with a yeah. <laughs> uh, Not, not your area. There's a you said a tax advisor. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The, International, like my specialty is knowing what my specialty is and staying yeah. in my lane. And I yeah. am not going to even touch FERPTA because <laughs> I get gutted on FERPTA because it, you know, would impacts my clients. So I stay in the lane that I specialize in and I really would prefer not to comment on tax issues just because it's outside of my, sure. my real house. Okay. So if, we are an operator, and if we do run into someone that has, has foreign money, so your your advice is to take it right away. I'm a, just kidding. 
How much? How much is it? We can all run away to Tahiti. (laughs) (laughs) So if we did have someone come to us, like, can you describe what we should, what you think we should do to verify that? Or is that... Speak to the cross-border tax guy. Don't even touch it with a 10-foot pole. Honestly, the worst thing that realtors or real estate investors or syndicators or anybody, even lawyers can do for their clients is try to touch on something that isn't in your lane. And realtors do it all the time because they try to guide their clients on, Mm -hmm. this is what you need to do. This is the form. You know what? Just defer and refer. Because at the end of the day, that's going to save you guys so much trouble. And there's a lot, I know many syndicators that work with a lot of foreign nationals. So there's opportunity for you. It's just a matter of figuring out how to handle the compliance side of it. Well, that, that is great advice. Like always, you know, consult the professionals and the ones that do know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's key. Like it's key. It's kind of like, you know, it's like anything. The reason I'm having a permit issue at my house is my, my electrical board literally went down. My whole house Ooh, went man. down a week ago. And I called a licensed electrician. And after the fact, they decided to get the permit. So now I have to deal with deal, dealing with the power and light company to come out and turn off the meter and turn on the meter. And it's just like such a mess. And yet I did what I was supposed to do because I'm not the one going out to fix the panel. The house would have exploded. So, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of the same, like a lot of people, and I'm not saying this about you guys at all, but people think, oh, well, you're a lawyer, you know about you know, where should I go for a traffic ticket? How do I deal with this? How do, I don't know. I don't know. That's not my area. I didn't, I mean, I, even in law school, I didn't touch that stuff. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. And unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of people just give the answer instead of saying, I don't know, because people want to imply that they know too much about too many things. My specialty is knowing that I need to stay in my lane And I think for you guys, that's the best, most sage advice I can give you when you're working or potentially want to bring in somebody from another country as an investor in your syndicate, because you're going to be a lot better off. You will focus on building your real estate, your investment portfolio, getting the money, making the money, make money, and let these other people deal with the issues that the investors have. Yeah, that are specific to the investors too. I think that's very great advice. Well, I think we're getting on towards well, the end here. Well, Our, one more question. Okay. All right. All right. Chris, yeah. Chris has I've another got, question. I've got one more question. So, Lauren, we talked about how, you know, there's this amazing opportunity to get a visa through real estate investment for a foreign person. Like, are there any other kind of amazing opportunities that you would say are out there for foreign investors Well, I think just to have their money in a more stable economy because the U.S., no matter what, is always going to be a stable economy. I mean, look what's happening with the real estate market now. I know it's happening there. certainly happening here. So Mm -hmm. depending on which country you're from, I think that investing in real estate in anything in the U.S. is always going to open doors, give you alternative streams of income getting your real estate license, having the opportunity to build that passive income and you know, build it for others is a really big and important opportunity. And I think too many people overlook it. So no matter if you want a visa or you don't, 
there is an opportunity to invest across borders painlessly and successfully and to potentially make millions of dollars. Yeah. And then touching on the visa, does that apply to your family at all? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so is it just sons and daughters and husbands and wives? Yeah. So there are aging out. Your kids age out at 21 and 18, depending. The kids only get a visa to go to school. The spouse gets what's called a derivative visa, which allows them to work pretty much anywhere. So when they get this type of visa, this E2 or E1 visa, the person, the applicant or the beneficiary, I should say, gets the visa to work for the company that sponsors them. So their company sponsors them. They own 50% of the company. They're directing the enterprise. They get the visa. The other spouse potentially can work anywhere. So sometimes people choose to designate the spouse that's the higher potential income earner as the derivative so that they can go and get a job. Even though they may be the owner of the business and they can, they're not going to be actively running the business. So this will allow them to get to access, you know, income, especially as they're building their business. That's very interesting. So if they're planning to move to the U.S., you take the person that has the high income and then let them not be the business owner so that they can work. Well, they they wouldn't be the beneficiary. They can own the business, but they just wouldn't be running it. Yeah. Huh. That's very cool. Yeah. I've learned a lot today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Me too. All right. You guys Uh, plan to move to another uh, country now? We love going to Mexico. Mexico is a good one, yeah. I have a bunch of friends in New Zealand. Ah, New Zealand. I just have to get in there. Agent in Australia. He's he's great. He's great. Yeah. I haven't been to Australia though. Me neither. Have not been. Uh, But I I lived in New Zealand for nine months and just loved it. Wow. And they, you know, when you're young, you can get one of those working visas. Yeah. You know, doing cheap jobs, but now, now I'm old. Right. Now that we're old <laughs> and, I, and, and responsible and in. have families and all this, <laughs> right. No more, no more going on cruise ships for six months to do whatever. Right. Going to New Zealand for nine months. So mm-hmm. well, it's been a pleasure guys. I thank you very much. I'm not sure if I shared my investing cross We still have our famous four questions. Oh, there's four more questions. I thought I answered uh-huh. them all. No, sure. no, no. Four more questions. I'll start with the first one. First one's, what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Don't waste your time being a lawyer. <laughs> Get your lot of but don't waste your time being a lawyer. And invest okay. in real estate that's, early. That's I think good. that would be another we, one. Invest in real estate early. Don't waste. We, uh, we recently just had another lawyer on the show, and he's now a real estate developer. But while he was going to law school, he purchased real estate and he didn't specifically give that advice. He's like, the education was great. Right. But like Education's the great. real estate industry was the real estate industry was much more conducive to his, his lifestyle mm-hmm. or what he wanted. Well, and he got his fellow students to pull out student loans to invest with him. Oh, smart. Well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, that probably helped them. They probably made a lot of money on it. I mean, I'm just like, how was I not that smart when I was in school? I wasn't either. Don't feel bad. Right. All right. So what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? I don't know exactly if this counts as an entrepreneurial endeavor, but I certainly had a little side business when I was a kid, not that young, probably 15, just creating, like running a little babysitting system with a couple of friends so that we were 
always circulating babysitters so that we were always busy when we wanted to be as opposed to just being single babysitters. Nice. Yeah, you're running a, a little co-op. Awesome. There you go. Very cool. <laughs> Fun. That's a new one. Yeah, we haven't heard that one before. I like it. <laughs> the next question is, how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Oh, well, being a lawyer has shaped my journey in every way, shape, or form, and then living and experiencing moving from one country to another. Being an immigrant myself, as much as it's not an obvious immigrant, Unless you say out or something like that, then people are like, oh, you're Canadian. But, you know, it's not like I look different. <laughs> so I don't really sound different, but I am an immigrant. And so my training, my business training, my legal training, writing business plans, being just learning and collaborating with people has morphed me into doing what I do now. And then obviously having the experience of being the child of a realtor for many years watching my mom doing deals and always wanting to be involved in real estate, investing in real estate, all of those things kind of played a role in what I built today. Like AJ and I watched our dad, you know, do real estate deals. You guys are brothers? Yeah. yeah. Can't you can't you see the resemblance? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not even remotely. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. I had no idea. Okay. Right? Yeah. So watching our dad do real estate deals when we were younger, just like, you know, it, that totally shaped our journey as well. And it's of course. Absolutely. crazy how much that affects a young child's, just the way that they see the world. So mm -hmm. it's cool that you followed in your mom's footsteps and expanded on them a little bit. Yeah. Well, I don't buy and sell real estate. I don't work with clients and I definitely don't go on listing appointments, but I do love real estate and what it does for people. Yeah. That's an amazing tool. And okay. Especially now with the, with, you know, being part of EXP and seeing all of the amazing things that are happening in that amazing cloud-based company, it's just mind blowing. So. Yeah. Like having a, a little brokerage for us is great too. you know, helping our, our younger brokers working and doing joint ventures with them and teaching mm -hmm. them what we know about real estate has, has been extremely rewarding. Yep. Okay. And I have changed our final question. Just because you already bit. asked me. Uh-huh. I've changed it. It, you know, it used to be the one that got away, but I want to say I like our new question, which is what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? I think my biggest mistake was not, well, actually, my biggest mistake was selling my condo in Toronto when I sold my condo in Toronto. That was definitely my most costly mistake because that little condo, which was one of the first stacked townhouses they built in Toronto, is probably now worth about eight times what I sold it for. And I didn't really need to sell it. Yeah. So the yeah. moral of that story is when you have an asset that's growing – Hold on to that asset build and use your equity to build into other assets. Yeah, we very much subscribe to that idea. Yeah. Like, never sell. No. If you, if you don't have to sell it, right. don't, don't, don't sell. sell. Let it keep producing. Right. Unless you're flipping, but in this case, I wasn't. I was, it was just, I just wanted to dispense my property in Canada. But anyway, that's my, probably my biggest real estate mistake and personal mistake too. Well, Lauren... Thank you so much. I have learned so much today. 
these are possibilities and opportunities mm -hmm. in real estate that I didn't even know existed. It's fun and exciting. Thank you. My pleasure. And for our audience benefit, if they want to get a hold of you or maybe learn more about, you know, investing across borders, how should they get a hold of you or where should they go? Sure. So you can find my podcast, Investing Across Borders, everywhere. That's actually the name of it, shockingly. Investing Across Borders. <laughs> and I have a pretty big LinkedIn presence, Instagram, Clubhouse, Facebook. If you go to laurenesq.com, that's my podcast website, which is also my personal brand, Lauren ESQ, which stands for Esquire, lawyer. And you can also call me at 866-724-0085, 866-724-0085. And last but not least, and if you'd like to reach out to me or I'll share with you guys is I do have that ebook that I'll be happy to give your listeners as a gift on how, yeah, to, invest awesome. in, how to invest in real estate across borders. For sure. Yeah, we'll make sure that that gets included in the show notes. All right, I'll stick it in the chat for you, okay? Awesome. And thank you. It's really been a pleasure getting to know you, brothers, that I didn't know yeah. were brothers. <laughs> Definitely took show. me by surprise well, there, but yeah, always good. <laughs> and when I get up to Portland, I'll be sure to look you guys up. And Absolutely. Yeah, we'll you got to come. I'll be there. Bring, give me a reason. Give me a cross-border investor to come and see. Or just come visit our brewery. <laughs> oh, a brewery too. That's yeah. cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very nice. Well, it's a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Will. We'll give you a break from your three episodes in a row. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Take Thank care you. and stay safe. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.